Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston, and across from me is Mr. Charles Thompson, and we have a guest today. Our guest today is Jeremy Kaufman. Jeremy's the CEO of Library, or LBRY, and Odyssey. He's also on the board of the Free State Project in New Hampshire, and uh, you're also running for U.S. Senate in New Hampshire, I believe, as well, under the Libertarian Party. So, Jeremy, how are you doing today? I, I am doing great. And so three three kind of different hats, I guess I might be wearing at different times during this show. I do have to give one small correction. I'm actually no longer, this just happened recently, so um, I'm no longer the CEO of Odyssey. Uh, Odyssey is still owned by Library, and I'm the CEO of Library, but Odyssey has a separate CEO and is now being run as a separate company. Okay, well, that's nice. what I get for watching things that were six months old, you know, just getting back. Uh, no, it's not on you. I mean, this happened like just a couple of months ago. So okay. All breaking right. news here Bra- on Good breaking Morning Liberty. Yeah. Yeah. You heard it yeah. first. Like, I actually wanted to wait to come on your show yeah. to That's tell everyone. So um, we are business owners and we're trying to, to make it, you know, so we did want to start off by asking a little bit about the business stuff, kind of the the origin of what got you into doing these multiple businesses, the origin stories of those. Tell us everything that ever happened up to today when it comes to <laughs> those companies. Uh, I mean, I've, I've been into business my whole life. You know, my parents were, they're very supportive, but they always made me have skin in the game, you know? So they, they drive me to, you know, an event an hour away, but they, you know, they'd always make sure I had some skin in the game. So I was working from a young age you know, having like a paper route and stuff like that. But I started, you know, I would bring in candy to school and sell it to people when I was like, you know, 12 or 13 years old, uh, you know, just as a way of making some extra money. So that's something I've always been, I've always been interested in. Um, and I got into, I got into tech. Uh, I've been, you know, been very online. And certainly like as someone who's been on the internet for a long time, I didn't like the direction that things were going with big tech started learning about Bitcoin and blockchain. And I couldn't stop thinking about, you know, a way of publishing and speaking online with the properties of Bitcoin, you know, so you can have that local ownership, you can own your identity, it can't be taken away from you, the same way that someone can't take away your Bitcoin. And once I started thinking about that, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And that's generally a sign to me that I have to work on it. So I had another tech company that was uh, decently successful, but I sold it and started working on this one. Actually, I started working on this one before I sold it, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's what happened. And so what it, what is Library and what, is it, what does it do? Obviously, it it's still, uh, it owns Odyssey, so that's mm-hmm. the... Yeah, so Odyssey, O-D-Y-S-E-E, is the easiest way to use it. And if you're, if you're not like a hardcore uh, nerd, it's probably the best way uh, to use it. It's used by around 30, 40 million people each month. There's tons of content uh, on there, and it's not like some of these sites that are that are quote alternatives. It's like the only stuff you'll find there is stuff that's that's getting in trouble somewhere else. On Odyssey, you're going to find all kinds of stuff. Can you find some of that content? Sure, but you're going to find lots of stuff that's very popular on YouTube or popular in other spaces as well. And that's because, in the same way that those, the property of Bitcoin is good for people, it's not right. Bitcoin's not just for it's not for criminals, right? It's, it's for it's for everyone. Um, can criminals use it? Sure. Um, you know, so not that you should be the thought criminals, I guess, would be the analogy here, not actual criminals. But um, that's what um, that's what library, the underlying technology 
allows. So library does to publishing what Bitcoin does to money, and you can take those same properties. I mean, I can get I can get real nerdy about this if you guys want me to. I don't know how nerdy that's the that's the that's in terms of how it does it. I have to start getting pretty nerdy, but that's what it does. It means that I need you like, to explain it to me like I'm eight years old because I've tried to wrap my head around the blockchain. Don't be thing. afraid to be a little technical. I've tried so yeah, hard. Yeah. Well, I mean, so I mean, if your your audience understands Bitcoin, I'm not going to do like a Bitcoin 101 unless you want me to. If you if you have some understanding of Bitcoin, fundamentally, what the the, the Bitcoin ledger is, or what any blockchain ledger is, is it's a database. At the end of the day, it's a database. When we say the word ledger, it's a database. And so you can do other things with your ledger. And in the in our case, our blockchain is allows you to create an online identity. It allows that identity to publish things in a cryptographically you know provable and secure way. And so um, and then what we do is we take that blockchain and we combine it with traditional peer to peer technology, uh, basically something similar to BitTorrent, which is which was always censorship resistant, but had problems in other ways. And so the end result is um, you can have a local cryptocurrency wallet the same way that you can have a local Bitcoin wallet. You can create an identity that's yours in the same way that your Bitcoin is yours. No one can take it away from you. And then you can publish uh, you can publish things. You can publish videos. You can publish text documents. Uh, our technology uh, is the go-to for distribution of firearms CAD files uh, as well. So 3D, 3D print gun files. So you can really publish anything. Um, Odyssey is a video-focused site. I would say about... 95 plus percent of usage of library generally is video. Uh, and so Odyssey is the, is the sort of web three competitor, uh, I would say successor to YouTube, um, right? It's not an alt, 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 there are alts, right? A lot of these, there's alt Twitters, they're just cloning Twitter. You know, I think if something is built on web three, it's not an alt, it's a successor because it's actually something genuinely different from what's come before. It's not just ripping off what's come before, it's doing something genuinely different. Now, it, would this technology be censorship proof? Uh, for instance, you say you combine it with the peer-to-peer -peer technology. So could that, uh, let's say, video viewing technology uh, be shut down, although you would still have your your file saved to the blockchain in essence, right? I mean, could the, could the um, decryption of that to be able to view the video, could that be a censorship step? Yeah, so I'm, I'm always like, very hesitant to use the word censorship proof. Like I wouldn't call Bitcoin censorship proof. It's very censorship resistant. It's the most censorship resistant way of performing this kind of publishing. You know, if I, um, it's the, there's like that comic where I know people are always concerned about security and the guy's like, I'll get your password with this $5 wrench, you know, like, uh, cause I'll hit you with it. <laughs> you know, like if, if, if you're kidnapped by the government, our, and, you know, our technology can't stop you from giving the government the password and then taking it offline, right? If the government, if, if the internet starts to get literally fragmented, right, we can't, that's not a problem. So are there ways, it, it would be very challenging to, to publish, uh, to censor things. Um, and it's also possible to publish completely anonymously. Um, and that part's literally true. Like you can publish completely anonymously um, if you want to, and you just Google how to publish to library anonymously. And I think the fact will, will come up or I should say duck, duck, go now, actually, that's yeah. a bad habit. I've got to train myself out of saying Google things. <laughs> you, say, you, you say you can duck it. 
Um, but do people say that, by the way? Do people say you should... They I, do now. I've started yeah. trying to say yeah. it. I, I switched over my search engine, the DuckDuckGo, and I think I switched over the one on that computer, the DuckDuckGo, too. So I, I try to remember to say yeah. it. But maybe we should say search, because if DuckDuckGo yeah, yeah, ends right, up sucking sometime, then we don't want to yeah. be stuck saying that. So you were talking about, uh, I guess, just one more, one more thing. Is it susceptible to outside pressure so there's one thing where like the government could actually get into the system and shut something down but a lot of these companies they actually are just susceptible to the outside pressure from the government and they decide to remove the things so can library actually get in and remove anything library cannot okay. library cannot now if you have an odyssey account if you're using odyssey if odyssey odyssey does have access to your accounts in the same way that coinbase has access to your bitcoin right so it's like it's sort of like what's where do you want to be there's always trade-offs uh, in life. And this is one of those things where there's trade-offs. If you want um, better user experience, truthfully, the Odyssey software is a better user experience than the library software. If you're concerned about the government calling up Odyssey and saying, take this down, um, you know, then then you're better off using library desktop and not and not Odyssey, right? Um, if you're using library desktop and you're and you lose your keys, you know, we can't get it back for you. Same thing as Bitcoin. If you lose stuff, we can't reset your password. If you use Odyssey, you can reset your password. You know, so there's there's trade-offs. I think for most people, Odyssey is the way to go. But if you're uh, very concerned about full custody, if you're very concerned about um, something like you know some court order or whatever, then then I would use library. And and what I was alluding to more so is like you know Parler was shut down. If we're talking about alts, and I know this is this is really a successor, but essentially. Paul, you know, parlor was shut down because Amazon, they were hosted on AWS and Amazon was just like, yep, uh, no more of this. And so they shut him down for, for a while. It looks like parlors back up, but this is a, a true successor, as you were mentioning, which is built on web three technology, which is still in its very infant stage and very exciting. I'm a software developer. I know we have a few software developers in our live group as well. So that's why I like to get a little bit a little bit more technical to try to understand. Oh, totally. I mean, I, yeah, I can. Things. I mean, I'm a, I have a back. I have a computer science degree. I, I spent many years as a as a programmer. I will admit, I'm, I'm being more. I'm more of a manager now, so probably my skills are, are degrading a little bit. But uh, yeah, all of our stuff is open source. That's another huge check on us, you know, getting corrupted or becoming evil because everything's forkable, you know, that that kind of thing. So you can look. You you can look on our GitHub, both uh, uh, LibraryCom. Uh, sorry, I guess I think it's library.io on GitHub still, because uh, and uh, as well as Odyssey team on GitHub, and you can see a bunch of the open source repos. So if you're an open source guy, um, you know you want to hack a little bit. Uh, we we love that. In fact, most of the people we've ended up hiring uh, started as as open source contributors. So um, that that and that's a huge part of it. You know, when if you want something that's really uh, going to stand the test of time, it's like you can have a company with a CEO. Like I'm the CEO and I, I'm going to be very resistant for as long as I'm in charge. I'm going to be very resistant. I, I, you know, even if it costs, even if there's some financial cost, whatever, because I don't like censorship, I'm very against it. But you know, companies change. You know, Google was a much better company 10 years ago than they are today. And so having that open source, that's like a safety valve against that, that kind of corruption. That's awesome. And this, you know, this is Good Morning Liberty. We talk about politics, but we also talk about, you know, day-to-day -day life and what you can be doing to improve your own life despite what's happening uh, in the world around us. And I think this is an, an awesome example of how you've uh, taken uh, an issue, right? Something that we're all against, which is censorship and use the, 
uh, bettered your skills, so to speak, uh, and used that information and gone and created um, uh, something better. And I think that this is a a really cool thing for the not only the audience but everyone uh, that listens to understand is that you still uh, have a lot of power within yourself to go out and make real change, even if it's uh, even if it seems like the political realm is stacked against you. And so we love talking about politics and stuff, but I also love your story um, and how you've come about. And so that I, I want to transition now into politics. Um, so this is the, you know, that was the kind of the business side of things, but transition into politics, which a lot of people want to hear about as well, which, um, so if, if, if running all these things wasn't enough for you, you are now running as a U.S. Senator uh, in the state of New Hampshire. So give us a little background on, uh, you know, what happened, what led you to this decision and, you know, all the things that are going on on the political side. That's right. That's right. And um, typically I'm skeptical of a lot of politics or at least outside of New Hampshire. I'm pretty I'm pretty skeptical of of politics and and the ways that that, you know, that libertarians can win through politics. Um, I think it's very hard. And I, before I, as we get into politics, I do want to say, like, you know, my comp, my work, it's not a polit- it's not a political project. It's not just about libertarianism. I mean, you can find communists. Most of the video, which I totally support, put out your communist videos, right? Um, and uh, you can. Uh, most of the content isn't even political, right? It's not like all the content on there is political. Most of it's completely apolitical. Um, but you know the the what the government in the United States, in my personal opinion, like it is it is pretty messed up. Uh, my company has faced as a blockchain company, you know, we faced a ton of legal scrutiny. We actually have a, a federal court case that's ongoing that's been going on for four years, and so you're know, getting involved in the politics is uh, is a chance uh, to potentially fix some of this. It's also a chance to spread uh, the message of liberty. And in terms of you know, being involved with the Libertarian Party, I'd also been, I associate very strongly with that word libertarian. That's, that's the society I would like to live in as a libertarian society, libertarian ethics, libertarian norms. And I felt that the Libertarian Party, which you know, is, is saying, hey, we're the Libertarian Party, I felt like they weren't doing uh, libertarianism justice. Uh, so I got involved uh, with the Libertarian Party again. I hadn't been involved for like a decade or longer. And they approached me to run uh, for office, and I was I was flattered, and I was like, "Yeah, let's do it." You know, I kind of couldn't I kind of couldn't say no um, because it feels like a chance to really to really get some important ideas and, and some important messages out there. So we've got plenty of stuff going on right now around the country, and now definitely around the world that need fixed. I was wondering, I mean, what are some of the key issues for New Hampshire right now? I was under the impression that there wasn't anything left to fix in New Hampshire, but maybe. There are some things that can be done there. I guess you're running for U.S. Senate, so it's good to have a representation from from the state there. Hey, um, one second. Just, if you if you need a second, it's fine. <laughs> the uh, so uh, now look, I think New Hampshire is uh, it's absolutely the best state in the country. It's the best place for a libertarian to to live. Cato ranked us the most libertarian state, but like this is, I think, you know, we got to remember that like that's still really far from what a libertarian would want. And that's that's both state laws and, of course, a tremendous amount of the issues are federal. And so even if you had the, the, the an absolute perfect libertarian uh, state, which New Hampshire isn't, I think it's the best, but it's far from perfect, um, it's 
that's not you know that's not enough because you've got a, a massive federal government and um you know so certainly i think that's something that i would like to be advancing is how can the state of new hampshire be you know further disentangled uh from you know, from the federal federal government so I wanted to, if you don't mind, ask you about a few things I saw on your Twitter, because I thought it would be fun to get some comments about some of these things. Um, but recently, I thought you made a really good point. You said Russia and Ukraine are not at war. What do you mean that's by right, that? That's right. But I, what I'm trying to say there, I'm not trying to deny that people are, are fighting. Of course, people are fighting. But it's, it's agents of, uh, for the most part. Uh, now, I do think also things are changing here. We have seen Russia attacking civilians more, which changes the picture. But when, when we refer to, uh, we, we should be careful not to conflate uh, a government and the people of a country, because they're not the same thing, right? Um, you know, when, uh, the American government has fought wars and killed a lot of people in the Middle East and, and, and throughout the, the world. I did not, I didn't support that stuff, right? So when you know, the American government did those things, not the American people. Right. So the, the Russian government, which is controlled by Putin, they are attacking uh, people in Ukraine. The Russian people are not are not the ones you know doing that. The, the average Russian is not the one doing that. Right. And so similarly um, in, in Ukraine, um, uh, I, I think at least uh, I, I should hedge this a little bit. I'm not I'm not a foreign policy expert. So you should probably listen to like Scott Orton or someone over me. <laughs> but like, uh, you know, it's also the Ukrainian government, at least in the start, Russia was attacking government buildings, government institutions, which in the Ukrainian government is also very bad. It is not a good government. That doesn't mean that, that, that attacking it is justified by Russia, but it's two bad people fighting each other or two bad institutions fighting each other. And I think that's like that's an important thing uh, you know, to be keeping in mind. Uh, Rothbard has a great quote in Anatomy of the State, you know, about how like, for a long time, for most of history, war was thought of as things that elites did, right? So it wasn't it wasn't people fighting each other; it was elites fighting each other. And I think that that's still true today, and that's something that's been lost, right? It's Russian elites fighting Ukrainian uh, elites, right? And again, maybe things have changed in the last. I saw just in the last 24, 48 hours that like Russia is now doing more attacks on civilian buildings and that kind of thing. So maybe that changes the picture a little bit. Um, but I think that that is, for the most part, the way that we should be thinking about these things is that it's it's elites and the people the elites pay or convince to join their team fighting, you know, fighting each other. And, and it's fine to have disdain for both sides. Folks, every day on the show, you hear us interacting with our friends in the private Discord group. We've got a new way for you to join, and that's by going to joingml.com or clicking the link in the show description. You can join for as little as six bucks a month. Pay for a year if you want a 15% discount. Pay more if you want to show that you actually care about the future. Or get a lifetime membership to obtain the coveted Real Libertarian label in the private group. We're able to do this show every day of the week when we want with the support of our sponsors and with the help of people like you who want to do your part to get the message of limited government and individual liberty out to the masses. The link opens up to our private Discord server. If you don't know, Discord is a very popular free app with over 200 million users. So if you don't have an account that takes 10 seconds to make one, then you can pay using the credit card or PayPal to watch our show live every day. Don't wait for other people to take action. 
That's how we got here in the first place. So go to joingml.com. That's join the letter G and then M and then L because this is Good Morning Liberty com or click the link in the description now back to the show yeah I, w- I would agree with that and that's what i find this whole thing interesting is what we don't know i find fascinating and the fact that it's very in this political sphere it's hard just to ask questions i mean for instance i mean we know that the the obama administration under the direction of um joe biden uh, got rid of a special prosecutor in ukraine um <laughs> and and then we sent them money and we withheld Trump withheld money and, and we sent them money as we should be sending them money anyway. And so then, you know, Putin's upset because, you know, he Ukraine is their brethren. Right. So an independent state. But, hey, you're still uh, basically Russian and you're not being friendly towards Russia anymore. You're being friendly towards the West. And so like, what is actually happening here? And I think I think that line, which is like, OK, is this really the elite's? Uh, you know, just upset at each other. And they, you know, instead of throwing trucks at each other, they have the, the disposable, the dispose of uh, bombs. And so it, it makes it, uh, it makes it terrible for the actual people there. And, and you can look on both sides, the Ukrainians or nor the Russians. I believe Putin's arrested over 2000 people at this point or something like that for protesting in Russia. Um, n- neither one of the civilian sides want this at all. Right. Right. I mean, that's what that's, I mean, if you look at, um, you know, sanctions in particular, that's one of the craziest things to me, because you see that the climate in Russia is if you speak out against uh, the war, you're going to literally be arrested. And then sanctions are largely punishing innocent people in Russia who like, what are you asking them to do? Even if you're p- trying to put pressure on them to do what? Like you, you try to get Russian citizens to like assassinate Putin? Is that the idea? Like, what is the what is the outcome that you're trying to produce by hurting people who neither you know, they didn't vote for Putin, they can't you know, they can't they don't have a means of of removing him at least if it's not one that's clear to me. So it's like what you know what is the what is the intent of this? It seems like you're largely punishing innocent people for something that they have little to no uh, control over it's, i don't you know i don't even understand i try to generally like understand the logic of the other side or like that kind of thing and like in this case i'm, I'm struggling to understand it yeah i think we just talked about this a couple days ago when we were talking about sanctions and i guess what we what we really were meaning was you can have your opinion on sanctions maybe that's better than actual boots on the ground but one problem i see is that people talk about sanctions as if it doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't really affect anyone. It's just going to be hurting the government. This is just something that's easy. We can throw these on and this is just a tactic we have, but they don't ever consider the actual repercussions for innocent people in that country, uh, for people that can least afford to deal with all of the economic repercussions. So we were just asking a couple of days ago that people take them seriously. These are real things. Example, the Russian stock market closed down and lost 50%. The rubles <laughs> down 50%. Russians are trying to get their money out of the bank. Um, you know, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna hurt just like tariffs. I mean, it hurts the actual people. It doesn't, the government doesn't give a shit. Right, right. It also hurts, so and it certainly hurts Russian people the most. It also hurts um, people outside of Russia, right? It hurts their trading partners on the other side, you know. And as we saw with COVID, and we'll we'll see here, like right, no one understands the the economy, right? In the sense, because it's all these bottom up interactions, no one actually understands it, right? So um, it's literally impossible to understand it all. 
Um, but what we can understand is that like when you mess with that, it tends to have unforeseen consequences. And so we'll, we'll see over the next weeks to months, especially if the sanctions continue, what the ramifications are from cutting a large country like Russia off from, um, you know, from trade. So, which um, is violence, by the way. I think that? that's also like, like it is literally violence, right? You are you are stopping people from engaging in voluntary interactions with with, with one another. Uh, it is like sanctions are an act of violence. I think that is like yeah. the proper way to think about it. Yeah, I think what I said on the show the other day was if a if individual companies want to make that decision to not trade, then that's fine. That's on them. But I don't know where the government gets the authority to tell me that I can't trade with someone that's in another country. Not sure where that comes from. Okay, Who probably doesn't even support the war. Yeah. And so yeah. a little bit closer to home here, but still having to do with this. Another, I just really wanted to ask you about some of these tweets uh, because I thought they were fun. Obviously, um, you've got good humor on, on Twitter you. and you're not, you're, uh, you're not afraid to say things that might upset some people. So it's uh, kind of fun. Um, libertarians that support open borders cannot call for Russian troops to be withdrawn from Ukraine. They can only call for a cessation of violence. Under an open borders philosophy, foreign troops have every right to be there. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so this one's, a, this one's a bit of a troll, um, <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm, genu I'm, like, I'm genuinely, I'm generally trying to make some kind of point when I'm, I'm trolling. And there's a good, I had a good uh, there's an, another account on Twitter. His name's Kurt. I don't, uh, Checkmate State, I think, is the account. And there was a good, we had a good back and forth in that. One of the things I'm increasingly becoming aware of is like, I don't think there's even an agreed upon definition of, of open borders. Like, what do we, what do we mean? Like, does open borders mean just like no immigration quotas? I always took open borders to mean that like, literally no restrictions, you know, nothing. That's what I always thought open borders mean. But some people were saying, you know, some people who are open border supporters were in the reply saying like, no, of course you can you know, drive out, uh, you know, military troops. But then it's like, well, what's the mechanism? You're going to have to have some kind of agent going around attempting to identify them and kicking them out of the country, which like starts to look a little bit like ICE, you know, maybe it's a better form of it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a fan of ICE, but like, you know, it, it's, it seems like it's one of these concepts where it's, and this happens all the time in politics where like we just have these fights over phrases and then it turns out we don't even agree on what the phrases mean. They're just signifiers that, that there's not even agreed upon meaning of the term. Um, so it, 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 it's so, you know, I don't I don't know. And I'm not anti-immigration, by the way. I'm pro-immigration. I think that we need to realize that when we have people immigrate into the country with values that are opposed to lip, to pro-liberty beliefs, that like that's a bad thing, at least as long as we're under a democracy and those people have any kind of power. So like, you're bringing a communist in to be my neighbor. Like you're imposing a lot of externalities, negative externalities on me because that person's going in and voting to raise taxes and, and voting to control me and, and, and all of these things. So to me, like I would like immigration to be increased substantially. I think there are a lot of talented people in other countries with pro-liberty beliefs that could come here and be more productive and make our country better. But I think that like, to, America has been getting less and less free in almost every category for a very long time. And so like, if we're going to make the country better, we need to make sure we're bringing in people that will like put the, move the country in that direction and not in other ways. Or you have to do keyhole type solutions where you're like not letting them vote, but who knows how that would even you know, work over time. I'm not sure that would even hold up. Now see, I'm a very open borders libertarian, but I'm perfectly willing to have a nuanced conversation and say and admit that 
we can't have open borders until we fig until we fix the actual problems. I mean, I think Milton Friedman alluded to one of the best problems we have with open borders when he said the only good immigration is illegal immigration because there was way too much power that the government had that was giving all these people, um, you know, rights or vote voting themselves into prosperity and different things like that. The problem isn't actually the person crossing the border. The problem is, is that the power that that person gets to either vote for something for themselves, as you mentioned, a communist neighbor could vote to raise taxes or whatever. The, the real problem there is taxes, not that the, that, or the, the fact that the person can vote to raise taxes, that the government has that power to begin with. So it's a really, it's going to take a, an extremely long time, perhaps never, if we ever get to open borders. But uh, we can't have that while we have everything else going on, because then you're in a, it's in a, it's a worse battle for liberty than what we currently are at right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I've come to, to realize, and, and COVID definitely helped me see this, is like, even even if you had a government system that prevented these kinds of infringements, right? Like somehow you had a constitution that actually worked or you had some strong document that like, no, you just can't vote to do these things to your neighbors. It's just, and somehow this worked, which I think is already a bit of a pipe dream, but let's imagine it did. Like if, if you were living in a community during COVID where like, you know, 95% of people, you know, wanted to be very paranoid about it, like that wouldn't have been a pleasant life compared to one where you could have a community. And I'm not, I'm not a code denier or anything, but like, I thought people were way, way too paranoid about it. Um, made way more adjustments to their life than, you know, than I wanted to make, um, in, in mine, not because I thought it wasn't real, but that's just not the, the risk benefit of continuing to live my life versus the risk I thought the disease presented to me. So, Hey, I should continue living my life. Right. And like, I want to live, if I want to live with a, you know, a sufficient density of people, that are thinking that way, and even even in a in, in, even if the government wasn't doing some of the terrible things that it did, it still would have been uncomfortable and bad to have a bunch of neighbors, you know, who are who are you know highly neurotic, highly risk averse, whatever you want to call it. Like that would have still been unpleasant. And I don't, and I I've come more and more to believe that like these are not rationally decided perspectives. Like I didn't for the you know for the most part. Um, I think there's some, there, there's somewhat either whether they're environmental or, or entirely innate, but like people don't go from, from like highly neurotic risk averse person to like, you know, the opposite, you know, uh, for the most part. And so I'm, I'm very, and part of the reason I'm a big fan of the free state project is like, I think this sort of, you know, ideological self-segregation, like, I think it's the future. The earth is very large. There are millions of people who share the same kind of perspectives that, that you and I do. And we can have a place where, hey, like this is the way that, that things are. And it's also now less of an imposition on uh, those other people. So people who thought that you know we were evil or selfish or whatever those things. Of course, I don't think we are any of those things. But the people who regard us that way, like, hey, now you don't have to have us as neighbors either. You know, and so to me, it's like a win win. The more that we can kind of sort of self segregate ourselves to, to people who share similar values. So let, let me challenge you on that a little bit because let's say we set up this uh, utopia, right? Um, <laughs> Not yeah. utopia, but yeah, yeah. Well, in essence, okay. Uh, you know, let's say we set up this, uh, this free state. Um, I mean, what would like the immigration policy look like there? What if some highly neurotic person? Uh, who wanted to mask everyone wanted to move there. Is that someone that we, that you would not let in? Um, is it some, I mean, are there like, are the rules going to be surrounded 
uh, by liberty? Do we allow people to set up maybe their own commune on a on a certain part of the state? Like, what does that look like from a uh, let's say a government perspective of that free state? And do you support a wall around New Hampshire? (laughs) Yeah, so New York will build. I, I think um, I think I know a, a lot of things, but I also uh, I'm not afraid to say I don't know and I don't know. And uh, and on this one, truth is, like, I don't know. Um, I because I, I, I think this is one of the questions I'm sort of the most ambivalent about on sort of on what on what the right answer here is, because because of that sort of thought experiment that I just gave around COVID, because like I don't want um, I don't want you know neighbors uh, or people in my community uh, now that doesn't mean I don't I want zero diversity, but I just don't want people who are who are going to be advocating for those things. I don't want them near me. Now I think that you can um, probably. Um, uh, I'm not trying to dominate them, right? I'm not like a, get the helicopters. I'm just saying like it's a large earth. Just lives. I we can live apart from one another. Um, so one is that like I mean maybe culturally it would just kind of happen. Like who wants to be the first person who believes those things to go live around a bunch of people that don't? Um, I think it's also possible that you could do it. You know with private property uh, rights in the sense that, you know, you form sort of covenant style communities with their own rules and maybe they have, and so maybe you have sort of like screening type things at the local community level, not necessarily at the state level, but at the community level, or, you know, or if you are, uh, if, if there is some state that remains some minimal state, some minarchist type government, you could have an immigration system that doesn't necessarily have quotas uh, that doesn't necessarily have strong, uh, you know, enforcement officers, but that is performing some kind of of screening to to attempt to to match people, you know, with with the society, you know, with the, that society. Um, I think all of those are, are are possibilities. Ultimately, like this is one where I'm going to be sort of more empirical or pragmatic than theoretical. Like I know the outcome that I want. And I, and in terms of how it's produced, it's like, well, I'll, whatever can produce it, I'm going to kind of go along with. I mean, I think you're seeing something similar. I mean, not to that scale, but you're seeing something similar happen in the United States due to COVID with the mass exodus from California and New York. I mean, Nashville and Tennessee is growing like crazy. They're expecting uh, upwards of 120 people a day moving here for like the next 10 years still. Um, and, uh, my new neighbors, well, we have a lot of new neighbors, a bunch of them from San Diego, California. One of the first things they tell us is, yeah, we're from California, but don't worry. We're, we don't vote blue. Like we're not going to bring the same policies <laughs> with us. Um, right. so you're kind of seeing that, um, a little bit in the United States where people are, are getting tired of some of the certain things. And so they are migrating to a place that has at least a little bit more freedom. Um, but I mean, I guess my question is. I guess is more theoretical, which is like, okay, let's say that that person from San Diego wants to move, you know, to the free state uh, because it, it it's enticing. However, they disagree with a few things there. Like I, that, I don't know. I just feel like we live in a, in such a nuanced world, right? Where we have evil actors and we have uh, people we disagree with type of actors and all these stuff. So like how, how do you create that, I, I don't know how do you, what's the best way of creating that freest society where we still give people all the rights, even those we disagree with uh, who want to mask up and do all those things. Like how, how can we tell them uh, what's the best way to live, live life when we believe in freedom? And, and if you think 
you know, spanking your kids or not spanking your kids or putting a mask on your kid or whatever is the best way. What, you know, what's the best way of going about that? Yeah. And, and again, it is, it is a really good question. And, and we do want to differentiate between people who still retain that belief of regarding it as a personal choice, which is completely fine. Right. Like if you and I, I actually think uh, depending on, on what someone's personal risk was, I think it may have been smart to be wearing a, a certain type of mask that actually works, of course, but a certain type of mask. If you were at risk uh, and you uh, you know, were wearing a, a properly protective mask, I think that could have been a, a very smart call for you, uh, um, at least during certain portions, uh, certain times, certain time periods. So um, it's about, you know, it's not about necessarily the, the actions that people are taking wearing a mask or not, and more about whether they are interested in enforcing those, those choices onto others, right? That's the distinction you want to make. But effectively, like someone who is, who, who is trying to force those things on others, like that is effectively, uh, you know, a violation of the moral principles of, of the society that I would want because they're, they're forcing it on, onto others. How you produce it is a very hard question. I think that clearly concentrating with people who share your values like is a very logical step. It's producing actual good policy outcomes here in New Hampshire. The amount of people here moving is is only accelerating, and it also makes your lifestyle a lot better. Like I have three, I have three young boys, and they got to live a relatively normal life at a time when it seems like a lot of people's kids, you know, were not were not able to do that, and that's because. I have so many friends, so many peers who are also parents who have kids the same age, and you know, we just hang out with each other. The kids just hang out with each other, so they didn't get trapped in a in a climate, um, uh, you know, the, where that that wasn't um, where that wasn't possible. Uh, one other comment I will make: It's like, where well, you know, did you see people from Nashville uh, leaving to go to New York and California? I mean, why not? If they want all of these restrictions, where's the where is it going in the other direction? Yeah, that's what I was uh, about to say is I think all we can do is just realize that people respond to incentives and what what we have to do is create that incentive structure. And that really has to do with the power that the state has. And if if New Hampshire is the freest state, well, then probably someone who wants all those things, the free health care and the government controlling everything, they, New Hampshire might not be their very first choice unless they have family or get a really good job opportunity to go there. Or And likewise, California wants everything to be uh, more expensive and have higher taxes and, and all that stuff. Then naturally, people are going to go there. It's going to be like gravity or like water finding its own level. You don't have to actually police the state and make sure no communists move there. You make sure that you have the proper incentive structure set up in your state and it will naturally attract those groups of people. Yeah. I, I, yeah. That's, that's my, I, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic that that's the case. Well, yeah. and Nate, you've talked about this several times, which is like, we do, we have 50 separate sovereign states, right? This is kind of how this was designed that like, Okay, like if you don't like abortion, then move to Tennessee. And if you do like it, go to New York or California or whatever. States could have different laws built around culture or whatever. And I think if you get into more of the a psychological or biological discussion, um, I mean, what does that do, right? If you're around like-minded people or whatever, they become predictable. And so then you don't have to walk around in fear and anxiety about at, when you pass your neighbor on the street, are they going to chastise you or beat you to death because you're not wearing a mask? Uh, and I think largely societies uh, for a long time, because we all kind of come from a tribal sense, we're built around a certain aim or a certain goal in mind, right? Okay, like we're 
we all believe in uh, this part of Christianity and we're Buddhist or, or Muslim or whatever, however you want to break it down from a uh, any type of sense like that. And so I think that that, uh, that could get us to the best place possible. Of course, there's always going to be problems. I just... I wanted to challenge you on that to see what your thoughts so, are. So um, I want to get to with your your U.S. Senate race uh, while we're while we're getting close to the to the hour here. Um, what's the biggest job? The biggest problem? You're going into U.S. Senate. What's the thing you're wanting to solve? Day one, you're looking to solve. Well, <laughs> I mean, the thing is, the tr- and if I'm being like, there, there's so many things I'd like to solve, but you have to be realistic about like what one person in a body of 100 can actually do and and so the answer is like as one person you can't really just create policies that you want to see happen otherwise you know justin amash would have done that or thomas massey would be doing that you know or that kind of thing but i'd be looking uh you know to people like that as my inspiration because i think they're the best ones out there and so i think that you can use what powers you have to force votes, to force transparency. I think you can stop things from happening. I think you can, uh, you know, introduce, uh, you know, attempt to introduce bills or legislation and at least, you know, might get rejected, but at least you're like forcing a conversation. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest things that you can do is, is one person, and certainly Ron Paul did this huge inspiration to me, is like one person who's willing to be um, absolutely unequivocal about a position can force that kind of thing can, to be talked about, can shift the Overton window, can shift the conversation. Like, I, you know, I'd love to be, I'm going to abolish the income tax. You know, like, <laughs> it's, I can't do it, right? Like, I mean, I, I mean, I can't do it. So if I'm giving, I'm, I'm, I feel kind of like maybe if I was a better politician, I would have given like um, an answer that would be more rah-rah. I mean, I'm going to do all these things. <laughs> but if I'm being realistic, like, I don't, I, you know, I don't know that one person, I don't know that one person can. Um, I also will, one thing, here's what I did come up with one thing that one person can do is I can be better at insider trading than anyone else. (laughs) Um, So I can be really, really good at it. And then I'll take all that money uh, and I'll give it to like libertarians uh, or or pro-liberty people in New Hampshire. (laughs) It's sort of like a dividend. Uh, for voting for me although i was told that telling people they'll get money for voting for me is illegal so that's not mm, a, that is a yeah. joke and not a promise well see you wouldn't be good at insider trading it would be your wife or brother or something like that <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's right that's right yeah, she doesn't make a stock tip a, uh, a stock tip mailing list yeah uh, and you'll get you'll get the information before <laughs> everyone else you could even start a class or something like that to, like, to pay to join the mailing list. I mean, it's fine yeah. to say if you vote for me, you'll get a universal basic income, which is yeah, weird. that's like, not that's right. Money. Yeah, it's funny. That's yeah. fine, but you know, <laughs> getting stock tips that might be a problem. I do love when Thomas Massey writes his one-line bills where he says abolish the Department of Education, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. he introduces that. It never gets voted on, but it is fun to see when he, you know introduces an actual bill that just literally says abolish the department of education. So that is, that is pretty cool. Speaking of Justin Amash, you, uh, you mentioned him earlier as an inspiration for what you could do. Was it a net benefit that he switched away from the Republican party to the libertarian party? You know, he, yeah, I, I, I struggle with him at times. And I think he's very well intentioned. And I think philosophically he's a very, a very sound libertarian. Some of the political choices he's made. I'm sometimes I'm like, I don't, I don't know. And I don't I don't know if I don't want to say that he's like naive because I'm very removed from him. And obviously he was very successful. So it's like, how could someone who achieved all those things be naive? I don't know if it's that his base is like he wants his base to be 
these sort of like genuinely thoughtful people, which I just don't think there are enough of to win at anything, right? Like I'm happy to be genuinely thoughtful with someone who, who can return that in kind. I think politics is just not very much about that. So trying to win entirely on I'm genuinely thoughtful, like it's just not a, it's just not a winning strategy in my, and I'm playing to win, I want to play to win. So, um, so I, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I would, I would rather him be there, um, you know, than not, than not be there. So I don't, I don't have a problem here. You know, I know that some libertarians have gotten in trouble in New Hampshire, but like, I'm not ashamed to say it, say that like, no, there's, I, I want libertarians to get elected. Okay. There, there are 40 free staters elected in New Hampshire in the state legislature. I don't, and some of them are lifetime members of the libertarian party. They're, they all got elected as Republicans. I don't, that is great. I'm not, I'm like, I'm, I'm, it's principles above the party. I don't, I don't care. There are free staters who run as Democrats. There are free staters who've gotten elected as Democrats. I mean, our strategy here in New Hampshire is generally like win however you can win, <laughs> you know, move the needle however you can move the needle. Um, you know, so I think like being overly, I'm, I'm all for principle. I'm all for philosophy, but like, I want to win, man. I want to win. I don't, I don't want to, I'm a very competitive person. And so uh, there, you know, that I, you know, I guess I guess that's my that's my thoughts on it. But you know, the Libertarian Party exists, and so if the Libertarian Party exists, like it needs to be unequivocally libertarian. Um, you know, that is sort of the point of it. It, it. You know, or they could call themselves something else. But if you're going to abandon the philosophy, you know, for these pragmatic reasons, it's like I don't know. And maybe those two statements are at odds because I just said I want to win, and now <laughs> I'm saying that the the Libert, you know, so maybe there's some tension there that I I I you know I need to figure out. But it doesn't to me. It's like um, you know, sort of hiding the hiding the beliefs or obscuring it or being this sort of like lukewarm version of it, like that's not producing victory either, you know. So um it seems like to me the role is like if you want to be the if you the libertarian party, you can be, you know, ide pretty ideologically pure, you can be absolute, you can be unequivocal. And then like if you want to just go be pragmatic and hide some of your beliefs to get elected, that's what the Republican and, and Democratic parties are for. I, I actually believe the same. Like I want to see libertarians win. I, I want to see it. Right. That would be yeah. cool. Uh, and there, there have been some, you know, local libertarian uh, wins. It would be cool to see them win uh, a bigger election. Um, I just don't know how possible that is yeah. right now. If we're being honest, Hey, that's rude. He's right here on, I, he can hear you. No, I, I, I can I, hear you. I hope you it's, win. It's, I'm it's hard. For it's you. hard. I mean, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm a realist. I, you know, I think it is, I think it is a challenge to win an election, a real challenge for an election as a libertarian. That, but I think you can have a positive impact, you know, even without that. And one of the things I'd like to see here is like, is, is get something like fusion ticketing, where like the libertarian party can kind of be a stamp of approval on people who are actually, you know, libertarian. And then, and then you'd actually be contributing something because you'd be saying, hey, these are the ones that are libertarian. Now, we have a whole system for this. It's actually really cool. We have a group called the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance, which is founded by a lifetime Libertarian Party member. And uh, they, they score every bill on what, what the libertarian position is. Is this a libertarian bill or is it a pro-liberty bill or is it not a pro-liberty bill? They then uh, grade every rep based off of how often they took the libertarian position. So they put out a scorecard of how libertarian every single uh, official was. 
um, which is really cool. Uh, and it's made, it's one of the ways that they've actually been successful at, at pulling the Republicans to be uh, more pro-liberty. Sometimes you get Republicans who like the word liberty, but they don't necessarily understand that, you know, sort of the, they're not as good at the full, 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 uh, philosophy. And so this organization does a great job pulling people to be more liberty. It lets people know how to vote. And a lot of politicians also aren't even good at policy. This tells them what the liberty position was. It's been a very impactful organization. And by their scores, we have 100 plus elected libertarians. So at least there are more than 100 state reps who voted the libertarian position more than 90% of the time, um, uh, which is a, a pretty huge number. That is pretty awesome. That is great. Um, we've got some questions from people who are hanging out with us right now in the chat, if you don't mind answering a couple things. They could end sure. up being ridiculous. I'm not really sure. I'd like to me. apologize in advance. Um, it's a libertarian chat. they are ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, this is very important one. Tom wants to know, can you get him a campsite for Porkfest? He's on the way. <laughs> uh, uh, his own campsite? Probably not. I, you know, I could maybe find you a buddy. The campsites are pretty large and a lot of newbies just get a whole campsite for themselves when they're quite shareable. Um, so I recommend getting in the Facebook group or the Telegram group and just being like, hey, I'm looking to share uh, a campsite. I'm friendly. You know, maybe promise them some beer or, or talk about your cooking skills, you know, things like that. Um, but yeah, we're I want to get Porkfest as full as possible. Porkfest is very close to selling out. And I believe like almost all the, all the campsites may already be booked, but that doesn't mean that there's not going to be an ability for you to stay there because the, the campsites aren't full in the sense of like, have we jammed as many people onto them as, as possible? He said they all, he said they are all booked. He's on the waiting list. And I believe okay. Tom, you, you, you're a pork fest, uh, you know, I think he goes there all the time uh, every year, pretty yeah. much. He, um, he's got, I, maybe he's check got on, tickets, maybe check on Airbnb. Maybe it's the thing where someone, booked all, up on I, the I've heard there's nothing within 10 miles. Really? Probably. I know I met maybe people booking the campsites and then putting them on Airbnb. Oh. <laughs> <for libertarians laughs> I'm going to do that next year, actually, now that we <laughs> mentioned it. Um, this one with, resell the campsite. <laughs> the one from Magoo was good here too. Uh, he said, with recent efforts to control social media platforms coming from Congress, has LBRY or Odyssey seen any negative attention from D.C. or anyone in the government, basically? Yeah, well, we have um, we have an ongoing court case with the SEC um, as to how politically motivated that is. I'll, you know, uh, you, you can fill in the blanks. I'm not I'm not sure. I think it's reasonably likely because I know that they don't like some of the stuff that we enable. So we have that. Um, we haven't seen. And then we've gotten, you know, we've gotten some negative, um, negative press or, or, or people calling for us to censor things, which of course we, you know, we haven't done, but it is, it is funny how like, like the, the New York times did an article on us, which was like, it was like relatively fair, but they make sure to like dig up like the most offensive channel they can find. It'll be like, you know, 50,000th in viewership or a hundred thousandth in viewership in the way, but also it has this. You know, and they try to act like it's full of that. Uh, and I think it's like, it's just, it's just so, it's so dishonest. And it's made me have, uh, you know, such disdain uh, for, for the corporate press. Okay. Yeah. Let's see. <laughs> I got a good, uh, a good one here. So did uh, Rogan accept the 100 gazillion dollar offer? <laughs> and should we maybe have not been so cheap and offered possibly 200 gazillion dollars? I think that might have that might have gotten us over the finish line. Uh, he's certainly aware of us. He follows Odyssey on Twitter, uh, and he's aware of us. He um, and of course, there's so many creators on Odyssey that have gone on the show 
So, and some of them have talked to, to Rogan about Odyssey. So, you know, he's got a contract and that's, that's got to kind of play itself out. So I don't, I don't, I don't know that you're going to see him too soon. Uh, but I do know that, you know, I, I think certainly Odyssey matches Rogan's vibe, you know, more than, more than anyone else out there. And I, I thought his contract was like 10 years with Spotify. It's only three. Yeah. So, didn't get him. I thought it was four, but yeah, it is. Maybe. It is. It's not. Or too maybe long. there's three left. I guess now. So, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. I think yeah. that's what it is. So it won't be left. long before he's yeah. off Spotify. With inflation, they might have to up it to that two to three hundred gazillion dollars to be yes. able to do that. But um, we'll see. Magical inflation. It's all fake happening. money anyway. So yeah. who cares? Um, <laughs> let's see. Anything else from this group, real quick? I wanted to ask you real quick. What? can people do uh, like to support you? What do you need from the people that are listening to this episode right now? What can yeah, they uh, do for you so you can get in there and do for them? Well, number one thing, of course, this is an easy one. Anyone can do this. I'll move to New Hampshire. So that's the top. <laughs> it's just it's like an easy, light, not too much work. Um, but it, you know, some bigger ones, if you're willing to do more than that, uh, you can go to our campaign uh, website and get on the mailing list. Jeremy, uh, number four, jeremy4nh.com. Uh, we also have a Discord now, so you can come into the Discord and chat with other people in the campaign. Uh, if you can donate, uh, we're going to uh, start. Um, I'm, I'm doing my first campaign, doing some filming for my first campaign ad uh, on Monday. And so if you've liked some of the videos I've put out this far, you think they're funny, I can promise you we're going to come up with some real great content. So if you want to be a part of that, um, donating and joining the Discord is uh, a great thing uh, to do. Um, and I think that's really it. Get on the mailing list, uh, donate, come into the Discord, and of course, moving to New Hampshire. But that's like a gimme for everyone. So yeah, the weather's great there, isn't it? Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Fantastic. It's just another. Exactly. It's another uh, check on the commies. You know, they're not. Uh, they're, they're not gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you got to actually make sure that you're supplied with heat and shelter and stuff like that. I mean, you're you're not going to pick a place like New Hampshire. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say real quick, you gave the best State of the Union response that I've heard so far. I was going to play <laughs> it on the show, but just kudos to you for that. It was the most in-depth, detailed review and rebuke of everything that you heard the other night. So great, great job on that. Thank you. I mean, I think this is something that like libertarians, a lot of them, and I was one of them. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've, I've become more on the other side of this, if anything, but like, I used to like, you know, like read Cato stuff regularly and like, was like into to policy and I was a nerd about it. And it's like, but like most people aren't. And I've come to, of course, I've come to you like, like politics has very little to do with policy. And a lot of libertarians have this, this naive belief that, that, that politics is about having the best policy prescriptions. And like that's because that's the way that they actually think about politics. But a small minority of people think about it this way. So if you want to be able to communicate and reach those people, yeah, you should be able to articulate your policies. But if you want to get any kind of reach and any kind of interest in your campaign, it actually is very little to do with that. It has much more to do with, you know, culture, the kind of person that you are, the way that you carry yourself, the way that you communicate, being being humorous, being, you know, the right the, the right kind of this package of things that's how people are actually judging you uh, because most people aren't sophisticated enough to actually engage in the in the policy conversation and or they're not interested even if they are sophisticated enough and so i i think that like libertarians really need to recognize that that there's no way you can't you can't be outside of all of this stuff this cultural stuff or whatever you can try to be more inclusive i'm not saying that libertarianism has to be culturally right or culturally left but you can't say that like we're we're gonna win just on having the best policy. It's just not a viable strategy. Yeah, you got you have to be charismatic and uh, 
I mean, we had Donald Trump that won the presidency in 2016. Yeah. People didn't vote for him because of his policies. <laughs> right. You know, yes. they voted for him because he was a reality TV star. Well, I do think it's important to present uh, like the the end state would be what you would call it in the in the software world. Like this is what the end state's going to be. Here's here's what your life will look like better. It's going to look yes. better. Yeah. And and yes. that's it. But it doesn't have to be because of this uh, 19 page detailed thing about all the policies. I'm going to get in. Your life is going to be better afterwards. There you yes. go. There's my policy. And why? A couple well, of reasons, you know, taxes are too much, stuff like that. But uh, these policies, the current tax codes, all these things are designed. They're so complicated for anyone to possibly understand. So I definitely agree. We got to talk to people on their level because most people don't care about that stuff. Most people think emotionally about everything. Uh, libertarians, maybe a, a maybe less so emotionally about everything, but that's how most people think. And they want to know that their life is going to be better after you actually get in than, than it would have otherwise. Been. I mean, Trump's literal policy was we're going to build a wall and Mexico is going to pay for it. Like that's how he presented that policy. All right, Jeremy, we've, uh, we've taken up enough of your time. This was awesome. I'm really glad that we were able to do this today. And uh, once again, everyone who is listening we're going to put links to everything in the show notes. Go sign up for the mailing list. Uh, donate to the campaign. Follow on Twitter and all the stuff. Make an Odyssey account. He's probably also got something on there. I think you should probably go follow on Odyssey too. Yes, we're on. We're on every uh, platform. Like I'm. I. It's one. It's, I don't have. I have like. There's a team of people helping me, which is really cool. They've been tremendous. Um, and they're, I now have accounts that I don't even directly manage, which is weird for me. I've never been in that position, but yeah, there's an Instagram, there's a TikTok, there's, there's all this, there's every single one. So if you're on there, we've got something on there. Well, Jeremy, pleasure to meet you. Good luck in the race and we'll be following along and uh, talking to you as it goes. So thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Awesome. It was a lot of fun. Thanks guys.